Lord, this morning, there's a variety of reasons why each one of us have come. Some have come out of obligation. Some have come out of tradition. Some have come because they want to be here. Some have come because parents have made them. But in the midst of all of that, Lord, my desire this morning is to see you high and lifted up. Lord, may each one of us do as James warned us. When we look in the mirror of your word, may we not walk away unchanged. May right now in our hearts and in our minds commit to you a desire to hear from you this morning. A desire as we open your word that says, God, you're speaking to me. Maybe for some here this morning, Lord, it's going to be salvation. And we praise you for that. Today would be the day of their salvation. We'll give you honor and glory. For others, it may be taking another step in their Christian walk. Lord, wherever we are, meet us and move us. May we be changed because of our time together in your word. We'll praise you for it. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Have you ever recognized that maybe in relationship with your spouse, maybe with your children, maybe even at work, you can say something and it come across totally different than what you meant? Anybody guilty of that? You can say it with a certain tone and it comes across, that's not what I meant. I've never had that problem with my wife, but some of you may. Yeah, she's, you can ask her later. But anyways, the tone in which you use it, the context in which you make a statement, you can say the same thing. I can say the same thing that my wife does to my kids and get two different responses because one comes from my wife and one comes from me. One comes from me pointing my finger and yelling and her little soft voice and they run and do it. None of you would ever have that struggle and challenge, but the point in is with my title this morning, if you come to a point when you're in a situation or a conversation with someone and you're talking to them and they get a little nosy or they get a little bit um, judgmental and you use this, who do you think you are? That has one context and one meaning and one abrasive, but that's not what we're talking about this morning. So I didn't want you to be offended by my title because the title comes a little softer And as we evaluate ourselves, as we look at ourselves, who do you think you are? Who are you? Now, this morning is going to be a little bit different because you're going to have to be interactive. I know sometimes we come to soak and to sit. And sometimes we come and we just absorb. And we don't respond. We're a Baptist church. We're not supposed to clap. We're not supposed to say amen. We're not... But you can respond this morning. Pastor's away and it's being taped, but it's all right. No, you can respond this morning. We're not going to do anything off. The elders are still here. We're not going to go off the page or anything else. I'm not going to be thrown from the church. But I want your interaction. I want you to pull out a pen or a pencil, lipstick, whatever you want to use, and pull out the bulletin. Okay? I want you to evaluate yourself. I want you to look at yourself and answer a few questions. The first question I have for you is take one word, whatever word it is, that would describe you. Write that one word down. 
One word that would describe you. Write it down. Let me give you your help. If I was the president, okay, that would be my one word. What is that word, the president? Uh, because our next, qu- next question is going to be what responsibility comes with that word. If I'm the president, what responsibility comes with that title, with that name? Maybe you're an actor. A lot of actors get there. And I've got these emails over the last few days with Charlie Sheen and having too much attention and all this other stuff. And then I get these emails saying, you know, we hear about that and the lifestyle, but we don't hear about these people that are being killed and, you know, in the army and all these other things. You know, what comes with that actor? What comes if you're an actor? What responsibility comes with that title? So let me give you a few moments, because I know when you're asked a question, I know like in Sunday school this morning, I was asked a lot of questions, but I didn't know ahead of time, so I couldn't prepare. So you couldn't prepare for this question, but you should be able to answer it. One, one word that would describe you. And what responsibility comes with that? One word that would describe you. Bob Warner, what word did you use? He's still thinking. See, I caught him off guard. Jerry Califano, what word did you use? Leader. What responsibility comes with that leader, with that title? A lot. Vague, but a lot. Okay. Now, some of you are starting to hide in your seat. Don't call on me. I don't think he knows my first name. It's all right. I won't. Okay. But that name, what comes with that responsibility comes with that title? Now, here's your second question. Class feels like it, doesn't it? Second question. What word would someone else use to describe you? What word would someone else use to describe you? Now, if you feel energetic, a little crazy, maybe ask the person to the left or to the right of you to ask them for that word. Maybe you want to know what they think of you. But ask them for that word and say, what is it? What word would you use to describe me? And what's the responsibility that comes along with that word? What word would describe you? You know, it's amazing as you fill this in. The opinion that we have of ourselves is usually different than the opinions of everyone else has of us. You go home this afternoon and hopefully you'll come back tonight after you do this. But uh, you go home this afternoon and you ask your spouse. You ask your children. They would probably, Bob, use a different word than you used if you thought of it. Okay? But what word would that be that would come up with it? Okay, now if I was to tell you that I am a Christian, that would be one word that would describe me. I am a Christian. What does that mean and what responsibility comes with that? Larry Smith, are you awake? You look like you're our brother. If I use the word and I tell you I'm a Christian, what does that mean to you? Okay, love like Christ does. Reg Cook, if I use the word Christian, that I am a Christian, what word, how would you describe that word? Okay. That you would do the things. What responsibilities come with that word, Christian? You see, if I took the time, and I won't in this group this morning, and said, what does it mean to you to be defined as the word Christian? 
We get a variety of different definitions, variety of different meanings. Some would say, well, that word means that I've had some past religious experience. Or that word means that I'm a good person. Or that word means that I'm good to other people or I go to church every once in a while. That's what Christian means. Or that word means that I'm a follower of Christ. Or have you ever heard this in speaking with someone? I've been a Christian all my life. Oh, you were born a Christian. I'm not... That may sound sarcastic, but that is the question that I usually ask in response. You see, there are so many different definitions and views of what it means to be a Christian. None that even compare to what Scripture says the definition of a Christian really is. None that really describe. I mean, if you go to my family and and they would all say all 11 of them would say, including my parents, all of them would say, I'm a Christian. But then you would look at their lifestyle and you would say, I have a question, because your responsibility does not follow up with what, who and what you say you are. And I think that we could define Christian here in church in one way, and at least understand it by definition, the lifestyle may be different. But I believe the world describes Christian as something totally different. I believe the world describes Christian as something totally different. And I think we're going to find that out in looking at different ways that people use that label of a Christian. When we call ourselves Christian, we proclaim it to the world that everyone knows that we are about Christ. It's amazing to me, before I go any further, that the word Christian is only used three times in Scripture. The first time is in the book of Acts, and it's not till 10 or 15 years after the church has already been established in the book of Acts that the word Christian is actually used at Antioch, and it says there the people were called Christians for the first time. Then we go to King Agrippa when Paul was trying to encourage him to accept Christ as he shared his testimony. And King Agrippa said, you almost encourage me or promote or make me become a Christian. You almost help me understand that I could become a Christian. And then the third place that that word Christian is used is what Pastor Luke read this morning, that Peter just desired to show the difference between those that were being persecuted. Some were being persecuted for the crimes that they had committed, for the sins and the lifestyle that they had lived. And then there were Christians who were being persecuted for being a Christian, for standing up for Christ, for living that way. And so Peter thought it of importance to separate those that were suffering for things that they had done wrong and those who were suffering as followers of Christ. So what is biblical Christianity? When we call ourselves Christians, we proclaim to everyone that we are believers in Jesus Christ. That we have denied ourselves in order to follow and obey him. That he is our savior. That he is the center of our lives and we want to please him. As loyal followers, I would dare say that this morning, not everyone in this room would attest to that when you would call them a Christian. They may have a name to say, hey, I'm a Christian, 
But the responsibility that come along comes along with that name may not follow suit. See, Christian has become a predominant label ever since it was first used in the book of Acts of those who follow Jesus. And I think it's an inappropriate title because it's rightfully focused on the centerpiece of our faith, which is Jesus Christ. In addition to the name Christian, the Bible uses a host of other names for followers of Christ. Children of God, lights to the world. We are heirs of God, joint heirs of God, his sheep, his flock. And all of these descriptions in their own unique way help us understand what it means to be a Christian. But because I believe that this world misunderstands the definition and the world, word Christian, I want to use a different word. I want to use the word disciple this morning. I believe that it not only implies a relationship with Jesus, but I believe it also perhaps gives a stronger idea of the relationship between a pupil and a teacher. The relationship that we should have with our Savior. During this three years of public ministry, the twelve were disciples before they were called apostles. And as disciples, they were under the instruction of their teacher and their Lord. And they changed the world. So who are you? Who are we? What's our responsibility? If you would turn with me, because I believe in this, in this passage... It's the one place in the New Testament, one of the places in the New Testament that gives a great balance of description of what it means to be a disciple of Christ. Turn with me, if you would, to 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 1. 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 1. And as you're turning there, we're going to see that each one of these metaphors that Peter uses, each one of these Descriptions that Peter uses of a disciple carries with it an obligation, carries with it a responsibility. And as I prayed earlier that James talks about, we look in the mirror and it doesn't change us. We walk away. I pray that we look at God's word and it changes us. We see where we need to change, what we need to fix with the power of the Holy Spirit. And we change where that is. So often, myself included, we come week in and week out to a service. Oh, that was a good message. That was a good music time. Oh, Isaac, I can't believe you used that song. Blah, blah, blah. We do all of these things. And yet, how often do we walk away and say, I woke you up. She didn't set her clock. Uh, how often do we walk away on Sunday morning saying, man, God spoke to me this morning. I need to do something. I need to change my life. That's been my prayer over the last few weeks about this Sunday. That should be every week. But my prayer is that God would tell you and show you through his word where our lives need to be changed. I will tell you as I've studied this, God has been speaking to me. And I pray he does the same to you. So 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking... As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby, since indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. First of all, this first description that Peter gives, 
he likens the disciple to a newborn babe. With the responsibility, he says, this newborn babe needs to grow up. They need to grow up. Why does Peter use this analogy, this metaphor about the newborn babes? Well, if you look back in the chapter 1, verse 23, you read this. Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. They were born again. They were new babes. They were newly born. That new birth is a deep and inward radical change brought about by the Holy Spirit in our lives by which we receive a new heart, a new life, and become new creations. Remember how Jesus, when he was speaking in John chapter 3, speaking to Nicodemus, how he insisted with Nicodemus, you must be born again. I remember speaking, my wife and I speaking with my kids, and they were just, we were discussing this passage, and they were asking the same question, questions that rather Nicodemus asked the same thing. How can you go back into your mother's womb and be born again? And he separates the two where you were born of the flesh, but now you're to be born of the spirit. And he goes on to say in verse 14, just as Moses was lifted up the snake in the desert, so the son of man must be lifted up that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he, that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. That whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. What is Peter saying here by calling us newborn babes? And the responsibility of growing up. He's telling us that there's an internal transformation. But now with that internal transformation. There has to be external implications. Do you follow that? In internal transformation. External implications. In other words. We need to grow up. We're not to be babies all of our lives. And he says when you come into this new birth. This born again. You come in, you don't come in with all of the understanding or all of the character of a mature Christian. You need to progress to that point. You need to mature. He says, when you come here, you're like newborn babes. You're weak, you're immature, you're vulnerable. And you're needing above all else to grow. That's why in the New Testament so often we see this idea of growing in knowledge and holiness and faith and love and in hope. So Peter tells them, These disciples, us, that we need to grow up. Well, here is something very important. We can look over verse 1 and and say, why is verse 1 there? Therefore, laying aside all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking. How does that relate to as newborn babes desiring the pure uh, spiritual milk? How does those two relate? Well, that is childish activity. Examine yourself and look at verse 1, and there is a, an insinuation here that Peter is saying, you need to grow out of that. That doesn't need, as you become a believer and a mature believer, that doesn't need to be a part of your life as a disciple of Christ. You need to grow out of that. But how do we grow? Well, staying with this picture of the newborn babes, we need to note Peter's reference in verse 2, that pure spiritual milk. Like newborn babes crave that 
uh, pure spiritual milk, he says, to grow up in their salvation. In other words, just as this, the secret to a healthy growing child is to have that regularity of the right diet, so daily discipline feeding of us, for us to grow. We need to have that feeding. Well, what is this milk that he's speaking of? And we'll move on. Well, that milk, the word is for our food in which we grow by. It provides spiritual and moral nourishment. Many of us know this passage in 2 Timothy that talks about Scripture and God's word. But so often we quote uh, verse 15, uh, 15 and 16 and we don't look at 13. and um, We quote 16 and 17, but we don't look at 15. So let me read all the passage in 2 Timothy. And from childhood, get the idea? You have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. And here's the passage we know. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. That's the idea of the, the pure spiritual milk, unadulterated, unaffected Scripture, doctrine that is going to mature us. You know, if I go into my... my um, shed back here and pull out some tools and I want to uh, accomplish a task, but I don't have the right tools. It affects the job that I do. And it's so amazing as we look in here in this passage, when it says all scripture is given by inspiration of God is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instructions and righteousness, that the man of God may be complete. The idea is mature, thoroughly equipped for every good work. I can't be equipped with the wrong tools to do this job that I want to do back by my shed. And neither can we spiritually as Christians be equipped to live this Christian life unless we use the the proper tools in God's word. And so that pure spiritual milk is God's word. And he goes on, Peter goes on to say um, how we should uh, crave that milk. The idea is since you've tasted what's good, you should not just crave it. But you should thirst for it. You want to find someone who's growing spiritually as a disciple of Christ? Someone who desires to get in his word. Someone who thirsts after it. Someone who craves after it. He uses that word as a baby craving for that mother's milk. That desire there. We need to have that same desire. And you know, something you find out if you've been a believer for a while and you've been studying God's word is that you can't get enough of it. It, it, it gets you thirsty, but then you want more and you want more. And that's what he's telling us as disciples we need to have. So who are we? Well, we're not only babes that need to grow up, but let's read on in verse four and five. Coming to him as a living stone rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also as living stones are being built up in a spiritual house. Drop down to verse six. We'll come back to the rest of the five in a moment. Therefore, it is also contained in the scripture. Peter uses Isaiah here and Psalms. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect and precious. And he who believes on him will be by no means put to shame. Therefore, you who believe he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they were also Appointed. Okay, as disciples, we're not only babes, but we're also living stones with the responsibility of fellowship. 
See, Peter here turns from the world of biology, of birth and growth, to the world of architecture, of stones and buildings. We have moved from the maternity ward watching a baby crave milk, and now we move outside to watch a building being built. And we recognize and understand that it's a church, but it's not the church in which we sit in today. It's the church of the living God, the body of Christ. And we have a part in that. Since the stones are the building of the people, he calls them living stones. Now, let me ask you, I'm going to, I'm going to move forward on this, but it's amazing that no matter what goes on in our society, Around the world, no matter what other religions are profiting and everything, God's kingdom is still being built. God's church is still being built, one on top of another, as living living stones. And it is amazing and, and exciting to me that no matter what's going on, Scripture reminds us that nothing can prevail. Nothing can overcome, nor death nor Hades can overcome the church, the body of Christ. Stone by stone, the building grows until one day the capstone will be put on the place and the construction will be complete. Christ is our architect, our builder, our owner, and our Lord. God is building a spiritual house, putting believers in place, integrating each one with the other and each one with with Christ. How do we join this church? Well, the visible church, each one has their differences here at Grace Baptist Church is the visible church. We have a new members class. Some of you have been going through that new members class. And in that process, you get to know what we believe, why we believe it. Um, Pastor also takes time to, to hear your testimony and to see if you've been baptized. But that's the visible church here. How do we join the body of Christ, the spiritual house that we're seeing here? Well, go back to that first verse and it says, come unto him. Coming to him as a living stone, which was rejected by humans, but in God's sight, precious, built into a spiritual house. Peter uses these things to remind us that the only place that we can go is to Jesus Christ. He is the one that is building this house. What is the implications for us as disciples? If babes need milk to grow, stones need mortar in order to stick together. Now, that mortar is a combination probably of the Spirit of God and the Word of God. But we have to keep in mind, as I ask the Sullivans to come up here for a moment, um, we have to keep in mind... You guys come up here? Yeah, both of you. Um, We have to keep in mind during these times when they would build buildings and they would use stones, they didn't have mortar. And so what they would do is put the heavy weight of these stones side by side and they would put them over there. And the reason I use this word fellowship because so who we are as living stones, we need our responsibility is, is, is fellowship. Now, if you're anything like I am, a true Baptist that loves to eat, we think of fellowship as time to get together and eat, time to talk. Um, time to communicate, time to be over at someone's house. But this word fellowship actually means partnership. And if these guys could come over here, we're going to demonstrate something. That word partnership actually means to lock arms. 
Okay, now we're going to... No, I'm kidding. But it means to lock arms. And that is the idea here as brothers and sisters in Christ, as living stones in this building that God is building, that we are to partner together. We are to lock arms in fellowship. Now, you guys can have a seat. And as they're having a seat, I'll just tell you, if I was to ever start a church, I would not use the word membership. I would use the word partnership. Because it automatically assumes an active participant. So often we're a member of this church, but we're not doing anything. I love that word partnership because there is an active involvement. We need to be involved. And as living stones, we are. We are to partner with one another. Let's move on, otherwise I will keep you in longer than the guy last week did. So, the idea of living stones, the idea of babies. But I have to ask you this question. I can't move too fast because this passage we just read about living stones, it talks about a stone, living stone is, is a stumbling block to some and a cornerstone to others. And why do I bring that up? Because I have to ask you, as we look into this mirror of God's word, who is Jesus to you? Who is he to you? Is he a stumbling block? Does he get in your way with what you want to live and how you want to live? Do you skin your knees and bump your elbows because you want to do this, but I can't do it? Or that Jesus thing is just not for me. Who is Jesus to you? Is he the foundation on which you are building your life? That's who he should be passage we just read that he brings us up from Isaiah and from Psalms. It says, if he's not that foundation, he is a stumbling block to you. Let's read on in verse 5. And we've read the first part of this. You also, as living stones, are being built up in a spiritual house. But look at this. A holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Then drop down to verse 9. It says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. Now, this may confuse some of you, depending on your, your church background, if you've grown up in a Catholic church or something. This may surprise you that, what do you mean we're priests? How can we be a priest? Well, that's what God calls us. We are priests with the responsibility to worship God. What does it mean? Well, let me give you a little bit of definition and explanation and helping you understand what the Old Testament priest had responsibilities. In the Old Testament, the Israelite priests enjoyed some privileges. First, they enjoyed access to God. Herod's temple was surrounded by a court of priests, and while um, from which the lay people were excluded, only the priests could go in there. And only the high priest could enter the Holy of Holies in the inner sanctuary, and only on the Day of Atonement. And those that tried to enter by law were killed. This symbolized the access to God and was restricted to only the priesthood and denied to the lay people. Another privilege that these priests um, enjoyed were offering sacrifices to God. You see, the lay people would bring their sacrifices in. They would lay their hands on them and symbolically they would um, identify themselves with that and symbolically transfer their guilt onto that sacrifice. But it was only the priests that were able to offer those sacrifices. But that was the Old Testament time. 
we as priests have access and can offer sacrifices, spiritual sacrifices to our God. Through Jesus Christ, this distinction between priests and us as lay people has been abolished. Let me share quickly with you some of the other privileges, and I think this is important because as you understand that you are a priest, and God's eyes understand some of these responsibilities as priest. Okay? First of all, priests shared an elected privilege. They were elected. Priests are cleansed from sins. Priests are clothed for service. Priests are anointed for service. Priests are prepared for service. Priests are to honor the word of God. Priests are to walk with God. Priests are to impact sinners. Priests are messengers of God. All of those are responsibilities with that title of a priest as we as believers in Christ are. We have that responsibility and it's a privilege. Do you understand your privilege of being able to have free access to God at any time? Do you understand your privilege and my privilege that we can offer living sacrifices, our body, but we can also offer those spiritual sacrifices to God? You know, but all of these responsibilities, the growth, the the babies and the growth and the stones and the fellowship and the priest with worship, all those things are great. But is that all? Just say, no, it's not. You still have a couple more points and time's running out. I heard that. But is that all? I mean, for some believers, that's all it is. I come to worship. I, you know, I will grow from sitting in a pew. And I will, you know, I will do those things. But that's not all. What about the lost world? What about everyone else out there that is not a part of this church of the body of Christ? What are we supposed to do? Well, I'm glad you asked because we're going to read on and understand some more areas of this. In verse 9 and 10, it says this, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but now are the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now you have obtained mercy. Do you understand as disciples, Peter is telling us we are God's people with the responsibility of witnessing. With the responsibility of witnessing. You probably recognize, as I read that passage here, you probably recognize it, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. Was that ever said about anyone else? You can say it out loud. Was that ever said about anyone else? Exodus chapter 19. Israel, after they were redeemed from Egypt, those exact words were said for, about them. And through the work of the Holy Spirit, Peter now takes that same application that applied to Israel and applies it to us as believers. But why did God choose Israel? And why has God chosen us? Not out of favoritism, but one of the reasons I believe God has chosen us is to be witnesses. 
If he didn't, once I accepted Jesus Christ, he'd taken me on home. We have a responsibility here as chosen people of God. And part of that responsibility is to witness to others. Let me read this again and we will move on. But answer this yourself. Are you sharing? Are you are you telling this to others? He tells us to declare the praises of the mighty deeds of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous or wonderful life. Let me ask you, don't answer out loud. Have you been called out of darkness into a wonderful life? You were once were not a people. You were lost, dying, going to hell. But now you are the people of God. Does that describe you? Is that a word that describes you? You had not obtained mercy, but now you have. I would say all three of those describe me as a believer. I was once in darkness, but now I'm in light. I was without mercy and and deserved hell, but now God has shown me his mercy. And I have received that mercy. I once was not a believer in Jesus Christ. I was lost, dying, going to hell. But now I am a believer. That comes with a responsibility to share that with other people. That's what he tells us. To proclaim. It means to tell. To go tell other people. Are we doing that? Let's read on. Verse 11 and 12. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Now, as sojourners and pilgrims, we have the responsibility of holiness. The word sojourners indicates people who have no rights where they live. The words pilgrims means they have no home. Why does Peter use this description? Well, if you want to, just for FYI, you can look back to chapter 1, verse 1. And he says there, as he addresses the pilgrims of the dispersion, and, and he goes on, and it's all of, of Rome. And he's saying that they were dispersed. They were spread out. They had no home. Well, it not only meant that, it also means it also symbolizes the spiritual condition of each one of us. Now that we've been born again into the kingdom of God, we have become, to some degree, sojourners and pilgrims on this earth. This earth is not our home. We're just passing through. Did you hear that? We're just passing through. This is not our home. We are just pilgrims, sojourners here. How do we live? Do we live in a way that everything we can possess here is important? Or do we live in a way with an eternal perspective? Because we can't take anything from here with us except for souls that may beat us there. But this area of holiness, why is it so important, Pastor Steve? Well, let me give you a better description of what we may have interpreted on verse 12. Having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, the lost world, that when they speak against you as evildoers, 
they may, by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. You know what that's saying? First glance, if that's the first time you read it, or maybe uh, your first thought is that day of visitation. Oh, that's when Christ is coming back. No. No. You know what that is? That is when the Spirit of God goes to an individual and convicts them of their sin and and shows them through that work of the Holy Spirit in their life, that unbeliever will remember the lifestyle of those that are around him that that say that they're believers, that they're Christians. They will look at that and say, you know what? God's name is going to be glorified because you've lived a holy life and you've been an example and there can be any question against that. I've lived a holy life, and so I can be a witness in my life and my holiness to the lost world. So when the Holy Spirit does the work, I don't do the work. When the Holy Spirit does the work in convicting and so forth in that unbeliever's life, they're without excuse because they've seen Christ in you. And so that's how we should live as disciples. But we're not done yet. Because the passage continues in verse 13. Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to the governors, as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of the evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free, yet not using your um, liberty as a cover for evil, but as bondservants of God, Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the king. Last but definitely not least, we are servants with the responsibility of citizenship. Now, I know I've already said, and I think it's very important that we realize our ultimate citizenship as believers in Jesus Christ, our ultimate citizenship is in heaven. And as that is true, it should affect the way we live here on earth. Citizens of the United States and how we serve, and how we live, and how we submit. A rebellious Christian is not a glorifying Christian in this society. You want to be an example. You want to be a godly example. Now, I know that you could try to pick that apart and say, well, if the government doesn't want me to do this, or I don't want to do this, we have to realize that God has put those people in our lives for a purpose and for a reason. And we should be praying for them. And if they're not asking us to do something that is against God's word, we need to submit. We need to be obedient. That's painful. But it's what God calls us to do as being examples. Godly examples. Now I'm going to ask our PowerPoint guys to put all six of those metaphors back up on the uh, screen as we close here. So who are you? Do you call yourself a disciple of Jesus Christ or a Christian as we want to define it here in in church? As newborn babes, we are called to grow. As living stones, we are called to fellowship. Remember? Partnership. As holy priests, we are called to worship God. As God's own people, to witness, to share what God has done in our life. It's a testimony, testifying, proclaiming what God has done as sojourners and pilgrims to a life of holiness that it gives this world no... They can't say anything against us because of the lifestyle that we live 
as servants of God, true citizens in this world, though we're just passing through. You call yourself a disciple. Are you growing? Do you know Christ more today than you did yesterday, last week, last year, five years ago? Are you growing? Do you crave his word? Or do you blow the dust off and open it up on Sunday morning? As the body of Christ, are you partnering? Are you fellowshipping? Are you strengthening other believers in Christ? As priest, are you taking advantage of the privileges that you have in Christ through prayer and offering a lifestyle that's glorifying to him? As God's own special people, are you keeping it secret or are you sharing it? As pilgrims and sojourners, are you living a holy life that's pleasing to God? And as Pastor mentioned a couple weeks ago, are you ready to take just a small step into heaven? Or is it going to have to be a big step? And as servants of God, are you living for this world and what it has to offer? Or do you have an eternal perspective? Are you an example to this world by your obedience and submission? Who are you? If I was to close right now and ask you to do that same thing that I started with, what would you put? Maybe you would use one of these six metaphors. But remember, with that comes a responsibility. How are we doing? Are we fulfilling our responsibility that God has called us? And I don't mean that we're doing it on our own, in our own strength. Maybe this morning as we close, this is all new to you. Maybe this morning you wouldn't even be considered a baby because you've never been born again. You've never taken that step and realized that you are a sinner. It's amazing. We talked in our class earlier about how opinions of other people and so forth. And, and some people say, hey, I've never sinned. And I would say you're looking in the mirror and walking away and not changing. There's, there's, you're not seeing. The mirror is, is dirty. So evaluating yourself as I'm getting ready to pray and see if you know where you're going to spend eternity. If you don't, without hesitation, without worry of other people, I want to encourage you to come down. Talk to me. I'll be right down here. And I would love the privilege and opportunity to go through God's Word and share about Jesus Christ so you can know that you have eternal life. Because you know what? None of us know what this afternoon holds. Only God. But for us that are here and come week in and week out and are believers, are we fulfilling the responsibility that Peter challenges us as disciples to do? Are we fellowshipping? Are we worshiping God? Are we witnessing? Are we living in a way that we're honoring God in our neighborhoods, in our job? I can't answer that. But I pray that the Holy Spirit will direct you. Let me encourage you as well to come back tonight.
because we're going to take that first point about being babies and growing up to the next level tonight. And I encourage you to come back tonight as we study that. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for tonight, today. Thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for how powerful your word is. How, though it's written thousands of years ago, it it impacts us today. And it's true to us today. We thank you for that and how it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts and it may be painful, but it brings about healing and growth. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would have free reign in our hearts and our lives today. And I pray that as we've come in, when we leave, we will be changed because of your word, not because of something that I've said. Take it, direct it, use it, Lord, in each one of our lives. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Love to have you back here tonight at six o'clock. And um, also want to encourage you, if you want to talk or have a, a few questions, feel free to come on down. You're